The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Welcome again. Hello, everybody. Good day. Welcome to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, and we're coming to you as usual. From the studios of WWDB AM860 here in Philadelphia, and we're streaming live on WWDBAM.com. Boomer Generation Radio at gmail.com is the way to reach us, and also you can like us on the Boomer Generation Radio page on Facebook. And we're going to be right back with our first segment guest, uh, Terry Clark from Action Aids here in Philadelphia, right after this message from our good friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Kendall is committed to working with others as we together transform the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888 888- Welcome back to Boomer Generation Radio. Hello, and I hope everyone's having a great day here in this beautiful, mild winter so far. Knock on whatever here in Philly. And uh, we are very happy to welcome to our show Terry Clark, the Prevention Services Coordinator for Action AIDS here in Philadelphia. Terry, you there? I am here. Hi, Richard. Hi. Good How are you doing? Good to- I'm very well today. Good. Great. Great. Lots to talk about. Uh, Action yeah. AIDS. And um, just starting off, you're involved with a, a very interesting, from what, I am, from what I'm seeing here, a successful aging program. What is that? Yes, that's right. Um, so my work here at Action AIDS uh, is really about um, HIV prevention and sexual health. And we had applied, I've been in the field of sexuality education for, oh, oh, a couple of decades anyway. And we had applied for funding from the um, Philadelphia Corporation for the Aging based on the uh, lack of information for older adults around HIV prevention. And as a sexuality educator, I know that HIV prevention is a very important topic, but also is the topic of sexuality in general and with older adults because truthfully, not many people are talking with older adults about sexual health, about sexuality, um, including HIV prevention. So uh, we put together a grant, now this is probably back a couple of years ago now, to uh, Philadelphia Corporation for Aging, and they funded us for this successful aging program that I had developed, again, based on my experience in the field of sexuality and talking with people across the life cycle about these issues. And what that grant allowed us to do was to go to uh, select senior centers and work with the uh, members at the senior centers in Philadelphia and staff to help educate them validate and celebrate older adult sexuality and we can talk about sort of what that difference is between sex and sexuality and and there's a lot to talk about there sometimes people just think well sex is you know what you do with what's below the waist and in between the legs but there's a lot more there so um, the grant was hugely successful people really uh, enjoyed the conversation and we're hoping to be able to continue the work we're in a little bit of a holding zone because of the uh, 
uh, state budget uh, with Pennsylvania <laughs> waiting to be passed. But right, right. Um, we're, we're pretty uh, hopeful that we'll be able to continue the work and even with uh, grant being, um, you know, over and waiting for the the refunding, I've still been able to do some work. So yesterday I was just at the Philadelphia Senior Center on Broad Street, um, talking with the, the members and uh, just delightful conversations. So there's a there's some articles that I've you know in, in my work with with Jewish Sacred Aging, and in my travels around. There, there's a is there a rise or can you confirm or you know the the, the idea that there is a rise in um, AIDS and sexually transmitted diseases amongst people over the age of seventy is that correct? Well, you know, I don't. I, I would. I would hesitate to say that that is correct information. And some of what we need to sort of just unpack in a, in a brief way um, is that um, HIV is the, the virus that is transmitted. And we know that 50% of people living with HIV in the United States are over 50. So there is a prevalence, there is an existing number of people who are living with HIV who are over 50. And that's really due to three different pieces. It's due to people living longer with HIV. So right, now right. with treatments, right, in, in, in medical care, um, people are living into their 60s, 70s, and, and beyond with HIV. So so that's a piece of that statistic. The other piece is that older adults are getting newly infected, which is, um, you know, the, 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 one of the main drivers of the reason for this conversation. Um, and then the third piece of that statistic is that people were infected as younger adults but never got tested for HIV and now are aging into their, you know, 40s, 50s and beyond with undiagnosed HIV, which can lead to what we call AIDS. So there is a difference there between HIV and AIDS. Um, AIDS is what may develop if the HIV virus is left untested and untreated. And my work with older adults, I knew that I, it wouldn't be as effective for me just to go in and say, hey, we're going to talk about HIV prevention, right? Mm -hmm. HIV wasn't even around when these older adults were, you know, younger, and it's not necessarily a part of their um, you know, language, but I knew that the topic of intimacy and sexuality and skin hunger and relationships was an important part of what adults wanted to talk about. So that's what we really began the conversations with, and we began by defining, you know, sexuality is that that everything that every aspect about ourselves from um, our need for touch from our body image from our relationships intimacy caring loving liking vulnerability trust right our sexual identity who we are how do we feel about ourselves as our biological sex as males or females or sometimes people identify their sex on a continuum right um, our sexual orientation who we are attracted to um, and then certainly our, our sexual health in terms of STI prevention and HIV prevention. Um, and then also with sexual harassment and part of, you know, elder abuse talking about, um, you know, that sexual abuse piece of that. So all those issues are really important to talk about with older adults, not just 
STI prevention, um, including HIV prevention. So when I, you know, I designed this successful aging, it was, you know, kind of a spinoff on what we talk about in aging services at large about successful aging, right? Well, we can't age successfully unless we have successful aging. Um, so, yeah, let me just stop there and check in and see what, what you're what you're thinking. One of the questions that comes up, you you do these presentations a lot in senior centers. Yes. Okay, but the reality is um, a growing number given longevity uh, and especially with the baby boomers um, of older adults aren't living in senior centers. They're living independently and, and very active and mobile and experiencing different challenges in life. How do we, how do you get this information to that majority of older adults? That, that is a great question, Richard, and that is a, a really, um, it's a need that is, is really not being met. And I would love to be in conversations and help um, develop programming and bring, you know, these conversations to the folks who are living independently, who are, um, you know, not in necessarily engaged with senior centers. Um, there are so many diverse needs um, in terms when we're talking about um, sexuality and aging and in terms of where people live in their living situation, right? As you'd mentioned, people are um, living very independently, not necessarily engaging with senior centers. Um, folks who are in their 50s may have different, will have different needs than folks in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, certainly folks with, you know, their relationship status. So if folks are married and in long-term relationships, then the needs around this kind of information are going to be different than if someone is um, starting to date again. Mm-hmm. Brings up a, a whole other level of conversation. Or for our folks who are um, cancer survivors, right, talking about the impact of breast cancer or prostate cancer on sexual functioning. It's another kind of conversation that can be had. Our folks who are coming out later in life is lesbian or gay or bisexual, right? Those, uh, those are unique needs to that population. Or our transgender folks, right, people who transition uh, later in life is another um, whole unique kind of conversation that happens. So um, lots of diverse needs out there in addition to the, you know, what you had mentioned about, you know, folks who are, you know, out there but not necessarily engaging in senior centers. So um, yeah, I welcome conversations and opportunities, absolutely. No, there's lots to talk about, but I want to I go back to one thing. We're talking with Terry Clark, the Prevention Services Coordinator here in Action Aids, and really spinning off a program that uh, she created called Successful Aids. Aging, S-E-X, uh, uh, successful aging. You, you talked in the beginning this dichotomy or this challenge of um, the, the concept between sex and sexuality and then mm-hmm. this motif, which I, I'd like to explore with you, the need for, especially as we get older, the need for intimacy, which is, uh, let me ask it, that the, the need for intimacy is not necessarily always equated with sexual intercourse. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct, Richard, and and that is one of the salient points about this conversation because um, as as we as younger people, oftentimes the message is that you know intimacy, love, uh, a good relationship relies on the number of times you have sex, 
simultaneous orgasms that, you know, both persons are into, you know, the, the frequency of sex and so forth, and that that sex often equals penetrative sex. So in helping people as we age, our bodies are not going to work the same at 70 or 60 or 80 that they did when we were 20, and that's the normal aging process. But yet the need for intimacy exists from the time we are born and our need to be touched and cuddled and and held until the day we die. And in our dying moments, having intimacy, whether that's our loved ones surrounding us, holding our hands, caressing our head, whatever that, that touches. That that is that's intimacy, that's part of our sexuality certainly is not involving penetrative sex. I use the word outer course, and that was a term that's been, it's <laughs> that's been used by a lot of folks in the field, right? But we, we talk about intercourse, you know, we kind of know what that means, right? Penetrative sexual behaviors. That outer course starts this whole other conversation and this, this vision of how we can be intimate with our, those people we are attracted to um, in lots of different ways. And it, it kind of takes the pressure off having an orgasm or, you know, getting to that, that ultimate goal, right? Because sometimes that messaging is all around the goal to get to an orgasm. But outer course reframes that. It's, it's really about... About um, being with someone, about trust, about conversation, about arousal, about desire, and whether or not that leads to an orgasm or not. So what? You know, we we can kind of let that stuff go. Sometimes it's easier said than done with our, you know, with these messages, our sexual scripts, as, as we call them, that we've had over the decades. So as older adults, we still have a need for these conversations around um, sexuality education and in educating, validating, and celebrating ourselves as older adults, as sexual beings, in helping, um, you know, just kind of relearn what we may or may not have learned as younger people. They, it, it speaks to me, uh, Terry, to a point that uh, I see increasingly as in, in my work and as I travel, this this fear, especially of people who are, are, seeing, are being alone. And there's this fear yeah. of being a, a not only dying, but just living alone. And this, I, I guess it speaks to this, I just need human contact uh, in mm-hmm. some way, shape, or form. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, the, the, this this challenge uh, it, it, to me, I think, this is one of the great issues that we're going to face as as in the next couple of decades, as as we get older and longevity, and just this need to be with people, especially as people living alone, widows, widowers, um, the economics associated with this. Not everybody can afford yes. to to be with in a facility, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, um, exactly. Anyway, the, so what's your reaction uh, as you go out and talk about sex and sexuality to the seniors groups and stuff like that? Is there sort of like a little denial? Is there a little, you know, giggle in the background? Or is there a real need to say, wow, we, we need to talk about this because I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a great question. And I, in, in my experience, the, the larger barrier has been staff of the, 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 res, the, the senior residents, the senior center saying, oh no, we don't need to talk about this. But the seniors themselves, the members themselves, the older adults themselves really, really want to have this conversation. And I'll, 
share a uh, something that was was said to me. I was at a local senior center and I was getting ready to, um, you know, discuss the topic. And the member had said to me, um, "Can I talk about Eddie today?" And I said, "Well, sure, we can talk about Eddie today. Tell me more about Eddie." And she said, "Eddie is my vibrator." I said, okay, well, we're going to be able to talk about Eddie today. So, you know, other people have said, you know, the conversation was really um – you know, uh, in, in engaging and in, in brought back many memories that I had of my wife who died. She was the greatest love of my life. But these conversations have just taken me back to really pleasant memories. And, you know, the older adults, again, they really want to be validated about this. And, and just yesterday, I uh, had, had mentioned that I was um, – at the Philadelphia Senior Center, and we had over 20 people in the workshop, and people were talking about how, you know, their their women who their bodies have changed, um, their vaginas will will atrophy without you know sexual stimulation, and you know how can they, um, what can they do about that? Right? Is that normal? Right? How do I, I had a friend? You know, she a person went on to say that she had a friend who encouraged her to use a sex toy because that was a really healthy thing to do for her vagina and her vaginal muscles and and it is right but we don't we don't talk about that because there's so much discomfort we think oh you know what older adults aren't thinking about that but they they need the information and they are thinking about it they are having the conversations and if we can't bring folks information and and validation and celebration about their sexual sexuality as they age we're we're doing them a disservice in the aging field and I do a lot of work at the national level with the American Society on Aging. I'm part of their leadership council on LGBT aging issues. Um, and even within that group, with our lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender older adults, some real unique um, needs around not only sex and sexuality information, but just aging in general. Um, so we need to be able to have these conversations. And I think sometimes, you know, the, the biggest barrier are the folks that are coordinating the program. Uh, Terry, you you alluded to something. I just want to ask you real quick. This is something, um, I mean, it just comes out from what you were saying. Validation, you you said that the people need to be validated and, you know, affirm their identity, affirm the fact Mm -hmm. that they're alive. And I would imagine then that stands to reason that uh, sexuality, not necessarily intercourse, but just the, the, the sexuality aspect of existence equals validation, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. And when folks um, are validated, right, whatever their, um, whatever that is that they need validation about, we know how affirming that is, right, to say you are not alone. A lot of people have these questions mm-hmm. or, you know, this is normal, right, which is one of the, which is the biggest question that people go to therapy for, that they write into sex columns, that they ask, you know, sexperts, if you will, basically boils down to, am I normal? Right. And, you know, being able to give information to people and um, help them with information is really affirming. And we need to be able to validate older adults around this stuff. In, in, in an article that I researched and did many years ago on, on older adult sexuality, 
they what surprised me is I ran across uh, several examples for um, nursing homes and um, retirement communities that had in the a codicil in the agreement when people signed when they, when they moved in mm-hmm. guaranteeing them the right of sexual privacy. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. I found that when this is an article I did about ten years ago, I found that you know it was surprised because I you know what do I know? It was very but but in talking to people like yourself and other people mm-hmm. who are dealing with this, they said, oh no no that that's that's part of the you you have to do that because as you're saying this is part of humanity and human life and when you shut that down, um, you're really taking away a part of a person's humanity and um, vitality. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, for for people in long-term care settings, whether that be, you know, continuing care retirement communities or nursing homes or, you know, whatever else we're going to be calling these kinds of facilities in the in the coming years, that older adults need to be able to have the opportunity and the permission. That's another huge piece of what I do is I, you know, give adults permission, permission to ask the questions, permission to get the information, permission to act on whatever they want to act on, Um, because if we're not doing that, then we're not treating people with the dignity and respect and their basic human need, right? And we go back Mm to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? right? It's a basic need to be loved and valued. And I'll share a personal story of my my mom and dad. My mother was on um, in her last moments of life, and uh, she died at home uh, under hospice care. And, and we were there, her, her my, my myself, my sister, my brother, my father, and my father held her hand and, and kissed her into her dying moments. And I just thought. What an expression of love that lasted until the end of her life. And that was, that was good for my mother. It was good for my father. It was good for us as their children to see their love expressed like that. And I mean, so to have someone who was in the end of their life and not be able to be with their loved ones, with their family, with their significant other, their partner, their husband, their wife, that is it's a loss in in you know it's it it's not always some it's something that we can do something about you know we can address that no i and i i've actually as clergy been involved I'm, as you were talking telling that story i was thinking of this couple i i was involved with a couple of years ago and They'd been married like 65 years, mm-hmm. and wife was dying of cancer. And this, they were, the physical aspect of their relationship was so powerful and so um, just energizing. It was, it was beautiful. It was really a beautiful moment and very spiritual. That yeah. uh, that this man, even as his wife lay dying, was just all just just continually involved with her and helping her and touching her and. Caressing her and I love you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The, um, the, the before we start running out of time at this uh, mm-hmm. on this segment, just first of all, if somebody is listening who wants to get, you know, they're sitting there says, well, I'd like to get some more information about all this issue about because I have some questions. They may not be living here. They they can call you at Action Aids, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are there sites? Are there resources? Good, valid resources? You would say somebody could go to and get some information. You know, legitimate information, not silly stuff. Sure, sure. So um, the Consortium um, on Sexuality and Aging at Widener University, and I know that right, Robin and Melanie the, were guests. Right, the past, they've been on right? the show. Right. 
Yes. So there's there's a great site there, uh, Safer Sex for Seniors. Um, Age is Not a Condom, um, which is a website. It's all one word. Age is Not a Condom um, is another great website. Now, those are around sexual health um, issue, more, more so sexual health uh, aspects versus sort of the spirituality and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, but the American Society on Aging um, has a blog. It's It comes out of their LGBT Aging Interest Network, but it was a suite of articles that I, uh, I coordinated back in April 2014 that people could get onto the American Society of Aging website and um, get access to uh, articles and information that span the holistic definition of sexuality that is not just about sexual health. Right, that's um, ASA.org, right? Correct, yes, yes. So I would say start there. I mean, folks are always welcome to contact me. And how do um, they do that? It, give us, they give, can eat, go yeah. ahead. Give us the contact it's for T, you. Sure. So it's T. Clark. T is in, in Tom or T is in Terry. Correct. T. Clark at Action Aids, and that's one word, A C T I O N A I D S dot org, or my work number is 267 940 Okay, we have a couple of minutes left in this segment. Uh, what's the? Give me the three most pronounced myths that you deal with when you go out and do workshops. The three most pronounced myths dealing with older adult sexuality. So number one is that the desire is gone, therefore sex is not important or sex is over. And that's the myth. The fact is that as we age, our desire will diminish, but what we can do is be more proactive in um, sort of creating the mood, right? So setting a time for sexual expression, sexual behavior, uh, you know, lighting candles, putting ourselves in the mood, and then once we begin the act, the the desire will follow. So as younger folks, the desire was there and we just did it. But now as we age, we need to kind of reframe that and begin to be more planful, be more mindful about setting um, time aside for sexual expression and intimacy. Um, for male-bodied people, when they their erections are going to change as we age, that, you know, he says, I can no longer get an erection, my sex life is over. Well, there are a lot of things that we can do to express intimacy and pleasure um, with ourselves and with our partners, and that, you know, a, a flaccid penis is an okay penis. You don't necessarily have to have an erection. Um, lots of things to do besides penetrative sex. Well, there's a and bumper sticker for you. <laughs> it is a great bumper sticker. Oh, and go back to that word, outer course. Um, I like that. And, I like that. yeah. Yeah, it's like it's that. good. And then the, the uh, third myth. I guess 
the third myth is that older adults are not uh, susceptible to sexually transmitted infections, right. right? And we know they are, and we need to be able to talk about sexual health, but not just sexual health. We want to have that whole conversation around sexuality and relationships and body image and skin hunger or touch and, and sexual abuse prevention and our sexual identity, right? How we feel about ourselves as human beings. So... Thank you. you. Terry Clark, Prevention You're Services welcome. Coordinator at Action AIDS. Uh, T. Clark at actionaids.org. 267-940-5502. Terry, thank you very much. We have to have you back. This is the beginning of lots of conversation. And um, I really do thank you for your work and, and, and for giving of your time here this morning on Boomer Generation Radio. So take care. Happy happy 2016. And, uh, again, we hope to speak to you soon. Take care. Thank you. Sounds great, Richard. Thank you so much. Bye, Bye-bye. everybody. Uh, we'll be uh, right back with our second guest, Ricky Goodstein, um, from Goodstein Law, and talking a little bit about some um, baby boomer issues regarding divorce and remarriages and blended stuff and all kinds of stuff that goes on with our generation. But first, uh, a reminder from our good friends Peter Hecht and the Hecht Investment Group of Janney Montgomery Scott. As we've been telling you, they provide concierge financial consulting and planning services. Peter and his team use a formal investment process as their foundation, and uh, clients, as we've told you, receive frequent communication and rapid response to all of your questions. And especially in this environment, there are a few needs greater than our own when it comes to personal financial planning. And Peter and his group provide experience, guidance, as well as an efficient management process for your needs and concerns. Additionally, Hecht and his team can assist you in connecting to the investment banking department, which specializes in assisting middle market companies achieve their strategic goals. We invite you to contact the Hecht Investment Group. You can reach them toll-free at 855-289-2168. You can visit them at the hechtinvestmentgroup.com. Hecht Investment Group is also on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Johnny Montgomery Scott is a member of the New York Stock Exchange, FINRA, and SIPC. And again, the toll-free number is 855 855- Two eight nine two one six eight, and as we've been doing this month in celebration of um, Frank Sinatra's one hundredth birth, we're going to do this little bridge before we get to Ricky in a, in a song that I think really, uh, if they cue it up right, speaks to our generation. So um, here it goes. One day you turn around and it's summer. Next day you turn around and it's fall. And the springs and the winters of a lifetime, whatever.
sighing softly as I near September the warm September of my years as a Wishing wells Now I'm watching children's carousels And their laughter's music to my ears And I find That I'm smiling gently as I need The warm September of my Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Good day. Welcome again to our second segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from the studios of WWDB AM 860 here in beautiful suburban Philadelphia. And um, it's springtime in Philadelphia in December. And uh, we're streaming live on WWDB a, oh, actually, let me do that again. We're streaming live. I got carried away with the weather. WWDBAM.com. Um, and again, um, Boomer Generation Radio at gmail.com, and you can like us on the Boomer Generation Radio page on Facebook. Ricky Goodstein of Goodstein Law, located here in King of Prussia. Welcome back, Ricky. Good to see you again. Good morning, Richard. Nice to see you too. And um, little, we're gonna, you were here in July, um, uh, the beginning of July, I think, and we started to talk about a whole series of issues uh, dealing with this so called phenomenon of gray divorce and baby boomers and some of the legal issues uh, that concern our generation. One of the things we, we were talking about as we started to run out of time, so let's go back to it now because it, in, in my work, as late as two workshops in the last week that I was involved with, the issues of documents the, that um, are really important for our generation to have came up over and over again. Um, Adva- 
finance directives, healthcare proxies, uh, these types of things. Um, I'm sure you get involved with this. Talk, talk me through the importance of this and how you deal with families and individuals preparing the medical advance directive, healthcare proxy, and what is it in, since we're in Pennsylvania, are there changes in laws from state to state that you're aware of? Okay, my turn? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So if we're talking about all those kinds of documents, these are typically called ancillary documents, and they're ancillary to your will or your trust. So that's the position that they take in your overall estate plan. Um, so let's talk about uh, powers of attorney first. Power of attorney, of course, is a power that you give someone, and it can be a limited power for just, you know, a couple of things that person can do, or it can be a general power of attorney, which means that they can do lots and lots and lots of things. And a lot of people have probably been hearing the term durable power of attorney. And what that means is that when you give somebody a power of attorney, it will survive that person's incapacity. Now, um, for you know, folks who know what a power of attorney is, that might seem confusing, like, well, of course it survives it because it's for when you're incapacitated. Well, not necessarily. There are two different kinds of power of attorney you can have. There is one that's immediate, which means as soon as you sign it, it's legal, and the person you have named has the powers as soon as they've signed what's called an acknowledgement. Um, the other kind is called springing. And this is a power of attorney that only comes into being, it only becomes effective upon your incapacity. Okay? So, you know, if you really, really want the kind of power of attorney that's going to give the person um, who has the power wide powers that will survive disability, and, you know, that, that's sort of obvious because that's what it's for, um, then you're going to want a durable power of attorney, whether it's immediate or Springing. Now, who gets an immediate and who gets a springing? Um, an immediate generally is for the kids that bring their parents or parents in to the office, and those children or that child is already writing the bills, is already you know negotiating financial decisions for their parents. So that's a situation where the kids are doing it already. The parents obviously trust the kids, and, of course, we tell them the difference between these and recommend that it be an immediate because, you know, they're already doing it all. And, of course, this is assuming you're going to give the power of attorney to your children or to anyone that happens to be doing all of those things for you currently. Um, the other kind, uh, the springing, is what we recommend for, you know, most people. Because most people come in and they're not, you know, they haven't crossed that line yet. Although a lot of people have. And we do estate planning. We also do elder law. Um, and people who come in on the elder law side very often do have family members that are already doing these things for them. So this, so this springing the, the two different things and the durable power of attorney for health care, that's the health care proxy, right? No, that's the, uh, that's mm-hmm. the property. The, what do you mean? The, the property power of attorney mm-hmm. is the one that's a durable power of attorney. And what about the health care healthcare proxy that allows me that I, sign, that I give power of attorney to my son or daughter or my spouse to speak for me in medical decisions 
that in case I'm incapacitated and can't speak for myself. That's also part of these ancillary documents, is it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so do you want to talk about what that is or who Yeah, just a real, real fast, real, you know, just, just, you know, the on one foot 101 okay. introduction. All right. So there's actually two pieces to that. There's the, um, uh, you know, health care, who's going to take care of me. Right. So that's a medical power of attorney. Who's going to make decisions for me? And the other one is what a lot of people call a living will, which is um, a health care directive. So the health care directive and the medical power of attorney stand side by side. Mm -hmm. um, the medical power of attorney usually lists more than one person. Many people have more than one child. And we like to encourage people, if you're going to name a child, um, unless there's, you know, a really, really, really good reason not to name another child, like, you know, they've tried to kill you five times already anyway, mm -hmm. um, then it's good to name all of the kids. And do you, do, do you name them equally or in ascending order? In other words, uh, Joe is my first – but if he can or if he's – he, so-and-so so is the second person I go to, correct? Yeah. So the way we do it is we name them in order. The, oh, in, okay. the intention is that everybody works together to come up with a decision, to come up with a decision quick enough that doctors can act on it if it's an immediate situation. Mm -hmm. If not all the people who are listed are there... Or if we can't get a consent, we're not, we, I'm usually not there, but if you can't get a consensus, you can't get a majority because, you know, maybe there's only two kids. Right. Um, or if everybody's so freaked out, nobody can make a reasonable decision quickly, then it's going to go in the order. So that's a careful thing. And that's not necessarily going to be an age order. Oh, yeah, that's So, right. you know, that's where we get into, I mean, along with many other topics, that's where we get into a, a real, real significant conversation about who you're naming mm -hmm. and who you're not naming. And the reason we encourage have all of the kids, if it's going to be the kids and if you have kids, is because we're always very concerned about what's going to happen with the family relationships later on. And it's one thing to not give a property power of attorney to one of your children. It's a whole other thing not to give a medical power of attorney to one of your children. Because now you're saying to them, I don't trust you with my life. And that's heavy. Oh, yeah. It's very, very, very heavy. Um, so we have, you know, real uh, down and dirty conversations about the kids and the order in which they should be named. In your experience, have the most families who come to you to do this, have they had a conversation ahead of time where they work this out internally or do they just dump it all in your office and say, okay, we're going to talk about this now and hope that you as the lawyer can sort of like negotiate whatever fireworks may occur? Believe it or not, a lot of people haven't thought about it. No, I, I do believe it. I mean, you know, they've thought about the fact that they need one. Mm-hmm. And maybe they've thought about, you know, oh, it should be list, this list of people. But they don't know about listing and priority for, you know, hard to make decisions or for emergency situations. You know, they're very common situation. You've got, you know, nine kids <laughs> in the lobby of the hospital or in the waiting room, 
and the doctor's standing in the hallway, and he's tapping his foot very, very, very quickly. Right. Because he needs to know what if, to he, do. if he can take mom's toe now, because if we wait till tomorrow, we're probably taking from the knee down. Mm-hmm. And that's not unrealistic, and it's not uncommon. No. And to make those quick decisions, um, not everybody's up to the task, especially when everybody's upset. You know, this is another reason why we've talked a lot about on the show, and this comes up regularly when I go out and speak in, in, on these subjects, the necessity for families to really develop a comprehensive care and end-of-life plan so that they don't um, wait to the last minute. But you're right. A lot of, a lot of people just don't take the time to do this uh, and then wait till either the last minute or they walk into the lawyer's office and say, okay, um, uh, you know, solve the problem for me. Uh, Right. And I'll tell you another problem is when you wait that long, when you're already in a situation, uh, we refer to that as crisis planning. Mm Mm-hmm. Bad well, idea. Yeah. And a lot of times it's crisis planning because now all of a sudden mom or dad has very severe dementia. So you might have one kid who comes in and he has power of attorney. And he says, we have to do some planning. Well, the problem is if that power of attorney is not very thorough and if it doesn't include things like gifting to take care of, you know, estate, taxes and all those kinds of concerns – or if that person doesn't have um, the power to do nursing home planning and all of that, well, now we're stuck. And now we have to try and create a power of attorney. That, I mean, it gets very, very complicated. complicated. That. And we get, you know, we get past it. Um, but it just adds to the amount of work that has to be done, which, of course, is, you know, an increase in the cost of the client. You want to keep that as low as possible. We're speaking with Ricky Goodstein of Goodstein Law here in the King of Prussia area. We'll be back with Ricky to continue this conversation about uh, some of the challenges that we deal with uh, in our generation in planning and uh, elder care law, elder law issues right after this word from our friends at Kindle. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio was brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in Together Transforming the Experience of Aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888 888- Seven five nine zero one two eight. Welcome back to our last segment here uh, of today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. Uh, we're speaking with Ricky Goodstein of Goodstein Law here in King of Prussia, talking about in our just a second ago about the challenges uh, and sometimes complications of uh, dealing with uh, power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, some of the family dynamics that go into this, um, advanced directives, living wills. Ricky, some I know people sometimes will go to the internet and they'll download a form and they'll sign the form in an advanced directive form or something like that and it's like a single p- eight and a half by 11, you know, but whatever whatever. And they'll walk into a workshop and they'll say, gee, I have my advanced directive. How valuable are these documents off the, off the Internet that people just do without any consultation with a lawyer or a clergy person? Do they, do they speak to the real – you've already talked about some of the complications that just can come up in, in, in just families. 
So how how valid are these documents? The thing you have to be careful of when you download documents, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna grow this out for a minute, and then we'll come back yeah, down yeah, yeah, to yeah, the yeah, individual. Yeah. So when you think about the companies that post these documents and you download them and you fill in your, you know, vital statistics and that's about it, you have to think about it from that business owner's standpoint. He's the business of selling wills and powers of attorney and medical powers and HIPAA and all that kind of stuff. And he wants to sell as many as he can. If you want to sell something in the millions, as many as you can, You have to make it as general as you possibly can. So how, bring it down to the micro, so, you know, really how specific can that be to you and your family situation? Um, So that's the first thing I have to say. Um, Another thing is that um, a couple of these services, and I, you know, of course can't name them, um, but a couple of these services have had lawsuits filed against them successfully because they're very important clauses that they have left out of documents, including wills and trusts, that either invalidates them or makes them, in practice, when you settle those estates, it's not the way they wanted it to be. And it can be very, very complicated and it can cost a lot of money, um, you know, to the, the beneficiaries. So um, what else? What was the second part of that? No, that's it. So be careful. Yeah, be, be very, very careful. As a matter careful. of fact, be so careful that just don't do it. Right. Okay. How often should a person – this comes up all the time. How often should a person take that will that – and uh, the advanced directors, medical stuff – out of the file and reevaluate it. Well, um, on the on the most amount of time between revamps, I would say whenever there is a change in your family situation or your health or um, you know who you trust, any changes like that, and then within that. Um, our clients come in every two years. Mm-hmm. They get a, you know, it's time to Check clean up. your teeth, you know, right. kind of post thing. Right. Um, just to make sure everything is still in line. Um, you know, we like to be comfortable with how things are moving forward, and if we don't get to see you, then we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? The, what, what, in, in your practice of elder, elder law, uh, what what are you seeing right now as a trend? Uh, are you seeing certain types of questions being asked more than others and have been in the past, uh, or is it just a, a general run of you know A, a to Z? Are, are you seeing various trends as baby boomers, you know, as we start to age out? What what are we bringing to you? Okay, um, before I answer that, I'm going to back up because there's one thing I didn't say about okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, the uh, uh, the advanced care directive, mm-hmm. which is where you say what you want to have happen to you if things are really dire. Okay, so this is, this is your last word. When you go online and you download these or you buy them at the stationery store, I don't even know you can do that anymore. Um, usually, what you would get is a laundry list of all different kinds of conditions and treatments and, and maintenance that you pick and choose. And it literally is like a menu. And you check them off. Mm-hmm. And you sign it and you say, I'm good. I think that those are almost more dangerous than not having anything at all. And I'll tell you why. You have picked the different things that you would like. 
but it's not in any context at all with what's happening with you when that comes into play. So um, let me try to think of an example. Um, okay. So somebody is taken into the hospital, um, and they have said on their um, health care directive that they do not want to have, you know, intubation, okay, which is, you know, they put the tube down right. and they help you breathe. As a matter of fact, they pretty much breathe for you. Uh, so if you've said that and you come into the hospital and you come in with pneumonia, it can be handled, but you're still in the hospital. In the midst of that hospital stay, you have a heart attack. And now the doctors, you know, the, the um, ones who are in the hospital, they're all standing around going, oh, my gosh, if we could just intubate this person, we could get them past this heart attack and continue to deal with the pneumonia, which really, you know, is not going to be the hugest issue. Um, so that's out of context. And if they really, really listen to what's written, um, they're not going to intubate that person. And now that person that had pneumonia, that, um, you know, antibiotics were going to clean up, he might die of a heart attack. So I think it's much better to have documents that actually speak to these things as opposed to a laundry list. Um, and that, you know, those, those are the best kinds to use as long as they're worded properly. And you have to be careful that you read them, even though you might have thought about, do I want option one, which is usually to refuse prolonging uh, medical treatments, or I choose option two, which is do everything possible for me as long as there's electricity in the building. Um, uh, I lost my train of thought. But the, so back, so the, the the bottom line of that is 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 really incumbent on people as in essence consumers to constantly evaluate and update what they want given the context because as as we know medical technology changes rapidly. And what may not have been possible five years ago may now be possible, so you may have to change your concern because, oh, they can do that now. And in that particular context that you're describing, um, I may be able to walk out of there in a week and be back playing golf in two weeks. Right. So you don't want a menu. You want a very, very good document that talks about these situations and brings the context in. So talk to me, because we're starting to run out of time now in this segment. The trend, what, what are you seeing now in your office uh, so far as baby boomers and coming in, elder law? What, what are, if you're seeing a major trend or concern? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing the sandwich generation, right. which is that generation that's still taking care of their kids, and now they're also taking care of their parents. Um, we're finding them in very, very difficult positions uh, they love their folks, but they have a house full of kids, and everybody works. And since we don't live in multi-generational houses anymore, right. which, you know, is not so great, it's that much more difficult. And that's why, you know, unfortunately, we have nursing homes. Ricky, the, the, one of the things that keeps coming up in our conversations here on the show, and, and is when I go out as well, is the growing impact of what we call the economics of aging. The expenses. Do you get involved with trying to sit down with the family? And like you just said, they're dealing with aging parents caring for them. Their children are grown. They may be dealing with grandchildren now. They're still working. 
they're having to pay for home health care, aids, et cetera, et cetera. Do you get involved with some of the challenges of how to manage your money, how to how to pay for the caregiving issues, and still have some leeway for myself? Yeah, for for a family that is going to be a private pay. In other words, they're going to pay for nursing home themselves. Um, you know, we can sit there and go through some budgets. Mm-hmm. Can I talk to them about their investments and the kind of income they're throwing out all that? No. You need a financial advisor for that. Right, right. That's, um, that's part of this whole care plan idea that, that a lot of people are pushing now, that really families, especially boomers now, who are facing exactly what the challenges that you're talking about, need to sit down with their lawyer, need to sit down with their financial planner, and need to sit down with their family and say, we need to work out a, a care plan, um, not necessarily for the end of life, but even right now, because God forbid somebody gets sick, who's going to take care of me, who's going to take care of my kid, the grandchild, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's uh, also the geriatric care manager uh-huh. and who really works to pull all that in as a team, um, and that person also usually is very familiar with the facilities in the area, which facilities are better with different kinds of issues, different kinds of and health insurance, concerns. Somebody insurance, somebody insurance, all, you know, everything, the lawyer, the financial advisor. Um, and the other place where finances come in is if they're, you're not going to be a private pay and how to prepare for getting government benefits. And that I'm obviously very much involved in. Yeah, the, that, that's a whole specialty unto it. Are there, are there more? elder care law offices employing geriatric care managers in the office, so to, sort of like one, one-stop one shopping? And you have to give me a quick yes or no, because we're out of time. Sometimes. Sometimes. It's a good answer. <laughs> it's a good answer. Anyway, Ricky Goodstein from the Goodstein Law, uh, King of Prussia. You're going to be speaking at Har Zion uh, in, uh, Ricky, in March. You're going to be speaking at uh, where? Real fast. Uh, Har Zion uh, Synagogue, and it's in Gladwin, and I think it's March 16th or 15th. On these issues. On these issues. Right. Yeah. Plus estate planning and all that. Thank you very much, Ricky Goodstein. Goodstein Law to all of you. Uh, we're going to be away uh, for the next couple of weeks. There's some great encore shows. See you after the first of the year. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. Have a happy and sweet 2016. Stay healthy. Stay healthy.